Thank you, Cass. It's uh, a pleasure to be with you today. And a pleasure to take my mask off to her. I'm sorry you can't do the same, but uh, more oxygen isn't there when you don't have the, uh, the mask in the way. But it's uh, good to be with you and to see notices of all the things that are beginning to happen. September is when everything starts moving again, we trust, and that will be a great encouragement, won't it? Well, we're going to look together this morning at Psalm 91. And I'm going to begin by reading the opening verses of the psalm which Kath has just read for us. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We don't know who wrote this psalm. We don't know when they wrote it. But it's one which speaks to us in, in many situations in life. And I thought as it seems that the pandemic is easing and things are returning to whatever we regard now as normal, that it would be good to look at this psalm. I wonder when the virus first came, whether you turned to certain passages of the Bible uh, to find encouragement and help. I'm sure if you did that this psalm would have been one of the psalms you might have read. Uh, because it speaks in verse 3 of the deadly pestilence. And it, it speaks about plagues that destroy. And uh, it's a psalm of great encouragement and great help. And uh, I thought it would be good for us to look at it now as we look back upon the 17 months or so of the pandemic and to see how the truth of the psalm has been lived out. Because when you're facing something that is in the future and you read the Bible and you see promises that are there, you may think to yourself, well, I wonder whether that will prove to be true. Because sometimes we're not clear in believing what the Bible teaches. And even now, because there has been such a widespread fear and anxiety, getting going again, getting started is far from easy. Uh, we've watched the news every day and it's been bad news. Even when things are getting better, we're told, but don't count on it uh, because around the corner there can be the next crisis. And so many people are still afraid and they're paralyzed by that fear. And I think it's really important as Christian people that we recognize that God's word speaks to us if that's our experience that we might be a help and encouragement to others. And the psalmist says that he is resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And it's a source of great comfort. And I, I wonder whether you can say this morning that you are dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, resting in the shadow of the Almighty. That you can say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. If we get caught in a storm, perhaps when we're walking on the mountains or in the country, we look for a place to shelter. And uh, then when we see something, we run to it. And the moment you enter that place of shelter, suddenly the rain is no longer hitting you, the wind is no longer buffeting you, and you feel the benefit of being in that place. And that's what the psalmist is talking about in terms of the whole of life, everything that happens and the storms and the troubles that come. It's speaking about the security which we can know under the care and protection of heaven. 
there's no mention here of vaccines. That, that wasn't a, a possibility for them, but for us it is, and we're glad of that fact. And sometimes people are saying, well, I feel safe now because of the vaccines, and indeed there's a reason to feel that comfort. But are you also saying, but I, I've actually been safe all the time because I'm resting in the shadow of the Almighty. And there's a testimony really here from the psalmist. And uh, the first thing he says in, in the verses we looked at is, He is my refuge. Not just a refuge, but my refuge. And it's a personal testimony, isn't it? Uh, he's talking about dwelling, living, resting, trusting. That's his position in every situation of life. And uh, he mentions four names of God that are revealed in the Old Testament. In verse 1 he says, the Most High. El, that's the Semitic name for God, El Elyon, the Most High God. Distinguishing him from all the gods of the nations, which were not the most high God. And then Almighty, El Shaddai, God of great power, the supreme God. And then he uses the word Lord in capital letters in our translation to distinguish the name Jehovah, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And then just very simply, my God, in whom I trust. God revealed himself as El Shaddai to Abraham uh, when Abraham and Sarah were waiting for the birth of the promised child, the promised son. And they waited a long time. Abraham was 99 years old when the Lord appeared to him and this is what he said, I am God Almighty, El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. In other words, he's coming to Abraham at a time when Abraham and Sarah are saying, well, it just doesn't seem possible, does it, that the promise of God can be fulfilled. And God just simply gives that name. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. And then the word Lord, the title the Lord, is one that is particularly significant for the uh, people of God. It's the name that God gave through Moses when Moses was sent into Egypt to deliver the people. And uh, Moses said, well, when I come, and they'll say, well, in whose name have you come? And God said to him, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers. That's looking back. That, that's the God who's been with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now he is with you. And this is my name forever, he says. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And then later, God again reminds Moses of that name and tells him to say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will make you as my own people, and I will be your God. And so this name, the Lord, is, is linked to the history of God's dealings with his people. It looks back to the fact that he was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs. 
but also that great redemptive act when God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt and uh, took them to the promised land. For the Christian, whenever we think of the Lord, we, we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah Jesus. And we're reminded of his great power, his great love, what he did in order to redeem us. It reminds us of the cross where he died for our sins and his resurrection where he rose to give us a living hope. In other words, for us, it's been filled out even more wonderfully than the Israelites knew, than the psalmist knew. He is the Lord our God. And, and the psalmist says, it, it's this God in whom I'm trusting. He is the Most High. He is Almighty. He is the Lord. And uh, he is my God. And it's a wonderful thing to say that. My God. That we belong to him. And there are these lovely pictures of security. The security we know in relationship with God. Shelter. Shadow. Refuge. Fortress. Uh, God is strong. If you ever, perhaps on holiday, you go and look at some castles and stand on the walls and think of the people who stood there years ago to defend against the enemy and how, how strong you feel when you're high up and the enemy are trying to take your city. And God is a fortress. And uh, these pictures depict strength, safety, and tender personal care. Because there's a sense in which we take refuge in God. In other words, we go to him in a time of need in a time of danger, in a time of vulnerability. And uh, it's something specific, definite, that we have done. Uh, in the book of Ruth, we're told about Ruth, who was a Moabitess. She wasn't born into the people of God. But uh, she came to know about God through Naomi, her mother-in-law, and Elimelech, her father-in-law, who died, and uh, their sons. And... Uh, Ruth had married one of their sons and he had died and it was just Naomi now and Ruth and Ruth's sister. And as Naomi says, well, I'm going back to Israel, uh, Ruth says, well, I'm going to. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And uh, Naomi says, no, you, you bet best to go back to your own people. No, she's going to come. And she comes and with Naomi, and Naomi comes back, and uh, she's a sad lady as she comes back, and they're needy. And uh, Ruth goes out to glean in the fields, and she goes to the field of Boaz, uh, who just, perhaps she doesn't realize fully is a, a relationship of hers now, because of her marriage. And as she's gleaning there, Boaz sees her and, and knows who she is. And this is what he says to Ruth. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And so he's saying to Ruth, who's come to a strange country, people she doesn't know, you've actually come to our God and you've taken refuge under his wings. And that's the lovely picture that is here of resting in the shadow of the Almighty. Have you done that? Have you taken refuge in him, perhaps in this particular crisis through which we're passing? And you've come in a new way to say to the Lord, I'm, I'm taking refuge in you, trusting in his goodness, in his greatness, and having a, a real sense 
of our need. So the first thing the psalmist tells us is, he is my refuge. But then he goes on to say something else, because he's conscious not only of his own situation, but of others. Sometimes believers speak as if as long as we're safe, everything's okay. We're not worried about anybody else. But the psalmist isn't like that. He says in verse 3, surely he will save you. What God is to me, he can be to you as well, he says. He will save you from the fouler snare and from the deadly pestilence. And uh, the yous in the verses from verse 3 on are all singular. Sometimes they would be plural, but in this case they're singular. They're talking to individual people. And uh, the psalmist is confident that his God, the Lord, will save them as well. Because he knows and he understands that life is dangerous. There are all kinds of problems, not just uh, the virus for us and the pandemic. There are lots of things going on in the world that are full of danger, even though we're inev inevitably preoccupied with one particular danger. And he, he lists them, the fowler's snare, the traps, the pestilence that kills. And uh, he says, he will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. And there's that, that picture of the warmth of a, a mother bird gathering her, hen, her chicks to her and, and protecting them with wings. And you might say, well, that's not very strong, is it? But if you go down to Roth Park Lake and try on a swan protecting her signets, you'll find that a mother's defense of her little ones is pretty determined. And, uh, and yet there's also that warmth, isn't it? They, they gather close uh, to the mother. And there are dangers, literal and metaphorical. They affect us in our minds. That's perhaps one of the great battles in these days. And in our body as well. Uh, they come from people. They come from the natural world around us. They're often unseen. Uh, the psalmist says in verse 5, You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. He's talking about these dangers that come at different times of night. For many people, the darkness is a time of particular anxiety and fear. We're weary, we're tired, and it's dark, and, and we need to find reassurance. And you think of modern uh, missile warfare, drones, and uh, there are people who are struck by missiles they had no idea were coming. They were launched from far away and uh, they were directed to specific targets and suddenly they strike. And I think perhaps the virus has felt a bit like that for people you can't see it. You don't know who's got it. And uh, some people are asymptomatic so not even they know they've got it. And it's all that vulnerability and uh, yet the psalmist is sure of God's perfect protection. Verse 3, he will save you. Verse 4, he will cover you. Uh, verse 5, you will not fear. You won't experience fear when you are resting in him. You will only see, in verse 8, observe with your eyes the punishment of the wicked. Those who don't know God, he is saying, you'll see that. And then verse 9, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. And then he also goes on to speak in verse 11 about God's angels. 
For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And he's speaking about that angelic, those heavenly beings that protect God's people, that are ministers to serve those who know and love God. Uh, we tend not to take that seriously, but it's a, a glorious reality. And uh, he will keep us safe and even grant us victory. Verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. In other words, you will be stronger than those enemies and those threats against you because the Lord is your refuge. And there's that, that combination of, of warm protectiveness and hard, unyielding strength. Uh, he is a, a rampart. He is a, a wall against all that threatens us. And uh, it's a wonderfully encouraging truth, isn't it? It's a truth here he's commending to those who haven't yet made God their refuge. But God is able to defend against seemingly inescapable dangers. If you know the history of Israel, how they came out of Egypt and uh, they came to the Red Sea and they were trapped land on two sides, the Red Sea, and then the Egyptian army intent upon taking revenge because their firstborn had died. And it was a powerful army, the most powerful army of the day. And, and the Israelites were not people who had been trained in war. and They were men and women and children. And Moses was leading them. And then, as it seemed that they were so vulnerable, suddenly that pillar of cloud which had led them came between them and the Egyptians and the Egyptians couldn't move and then the way opened through the the Red Sea we sometimes say don't we I just can't see how how God can change this situation well it was that kind of situation and he did and the knowledge of the history of God's people was always a source of great encouragement to them as they found problems in their own experience and uh, the psalmist is emphasizing the particular security of those who take refuge in him. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. And the you there is emphatic. That is, it's in a position in the sentence which says, but you, it will not come near. Wonderful promise, because God's providence, his care, is exact and minutely detailed. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. In other words, he knows us intimately. He knows our cares. He knows our concerns. And again, he spoke about the suffering of his people. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. That happens to Christians today. And they will put some of you to death, and that happens to Christians today. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. In other words, even when persecution comes, you are safe in the keeping of your heavenly Father. And so we, we trust him. We, we gladly put our trust and our confidence in him. If you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. See, it's again a challenge. Is he 
the one in whose presence we live and dwell and in whom we take refuge. Perhaps you know the story of the three young men in exile in Babylon, known as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, the names given to them by their Babylonian captors. And uh, the king had given an order that they should worship an idol which he had set up, Nebuchadnezzar. He was the most powerful man in the world. But uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego knew God and they weren't going to worship an idol. And so Nebuchadnezzar called them to him. And uh, this is how they answered him. O King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Our God is able, they say. And, uh, but even if not, we're not going to break God's command. And they were thrown into the fire and they were wonderfully preserved. And the Lord was with them in that terrible trial. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar knew that the Lord their God was the only true God. And again, that reference to the angels is relevant. He commands his angels to guard you in all his ways. There's another lovely example in the experience of the prophet Elisha. When the Syrian army, knowing that somehow everything they did was known in Israel, realized that Elisha, the prophet, was the one to whom God revealed what was going to happen. And uh, so they decided they would take him out. And uh, one morning when he got up, he went out early and he saw an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city where he was. And uh, the, his servant said, oh no, my lord, what shall we do? And uh, Elisha said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's, servant's eyes. And he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Uh, there's that protection. And Elisha knows it. He's confident of it. We have a hymn, don't we, which says that walls of salvation surround the soul he delights to defend. What a wonderful privilege that is. Or in the life of the Apostle Paul, on his way to Rome, he lands in Malta, and uh, there's a fire, it's cold and wet, they light a fire and Paul takes some, a pile of brushwood and as he puts it on the fire, a viper, a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. And when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. So they say, here you are, I see punishment coming on this man. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Can you see the protection of God? Uh, because Paul has made the Lord his refuge. And so we should never doubt when we are trusting in God that he is round about us. We have a lovely hymn, don't we? In heavenly love abiding, no change my heart shall fear. And safe is such confiding for nothing changes here the storm may roar without me 
my heart may low be laid, but God is round about me, and can I be dismayed? The psalmist says, he is my refuge. And uh, then he says, surely he will save you. If you say the Lord is my refuge, if you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. Are you consciously dwelling in that situation? Resting, that wonderful rest, that peace that he gives to those who trust in him and to know that we are safe in him. And then the psalm closes, some wonderful promises and they're a great encouragement to us. Uh, he says, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with you, with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So the psalmist makes a general statement about resting in the shadow of the Almighty. Then he says, he will save you, take refuge in him. And then the Lord speaks. He speaks about the relationship of the believer to God. Because he loves me, he, he cleaves to me in love. It, it, it's a deep emotion of love. Uh, one of the other Psalms says, I love the Lord. Do you? Do you love the Lord? He acknowledges my name. Uh, it means that we know him. It's not just an intellectual thing. It's something in our experience. We know him and we walk with him. And when we do that, we call on him. Perhaps you've prayed sometimes more seriously uh, in these last months and perhaps you've prayed in the past feeling the sense of danger feeling a sense of vulnerability he will call on me and here's the picture of believer loving the Lord acknowledging him calling on him setting our hearts on him knowing him praying to him and then God makes wonderful promises I will rescue him I will protect him I will answer him I'll be with him I'll deliver him and honor him. With long life I'll satisfy him. Show him my salvation. All these wonderful promises that God makes. Deliverance, protection, answered prayer. His personal presence and fellowship. Honor and exaltation. Immortality, glory, salvation. And then even in the last days that he will vindicate us. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. God must deal uh, with those who continue unrepentant and continue in their wicked ways. But, uh, but that will not happen to those who are taking refuge in him. And so there is wonderful promises that the Lord makes to us. And they're promises to hold on to and to believe with all our hearts. Because you see, these promises have been made real and have been fulfilled in the experience of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he has experienced these things himself. Uh, when the devil tempted him in the second temptation, he took him to the highest point of the temple and, and the devil quoted this psalm. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. In a sense, you sense the devil being frustrated because of the angelic protection that the Lord Jesus Christ experiences. And Jesus says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. I don't have to put it to the test. I don't need to put God to the test. 
because his protection, his promise is real. And then the devil left him and what happened? Angels came and attended him. It was the same the night before he went to the cross. He went to Gethsemane and he prayed, uh, if it is possible, Lord, let this, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he prays again and again. And the answer is no, the cup of suffering cannot be taken from him. Um, but we are told that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Father, if you're willing, no, it's not possible, but I will send my angels to strengthen you and to minister to you. And so he submitted to the Father's will. And uh, he was obedient unto death, even death on the cross. And what's happened? Well, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In other words, our Lord experienced the fulfillment of the very same promises that are made to us. And he's now exalted and crowned in glory. And, and that's the end, isn't it? That's where we're going. That's the end of our journey. Uh, he will protect us. But if not, we still will not lose sight of him. We will continue to trust him whatever happens. Job says, doesn't he, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. It's a wonderfully secure position to be in. I wonder this morning whether you can say that's your position. Because the psalmist tells us, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Well, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this psalm written so long ago and which has spoken to generations of your people. Uh, we thank you for reminding us of who you are, that you are the Most High God. You are God Almighty. You are the Lord, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We thank you, Father, for your grace and kindness to us throughout the years of our life. We thank you for being with us during these past months and, and keeping us uh, safe. And Father, we thank you that you continue to care for us. So help us to love you. Help us to trust you. Help us to rest in you and to know your peace which passes understanding, guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray for those around us who, who do not yet know you. And we're conscious, Father, of the vulnerability that they feel. And we pray that they might come to know, too, that you will save them. And that all the promises in which we rejoice will be true of them. And that nothing in all creation will separate them or us from your love in Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in his name. Amen.